vicious liar who fathered children with four women. There's a lot to learn from Jacob. Let's talk about it with Chad Bird on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're glad you're here. You always have a place at our table. And in case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter is our executive producer, and he does a lot of things well and excellent. But frankly, some folks may not like Matthew's intro jokes. Do you want to defend yourself or... No. Say it. No. No. Nothing to defend. (laughs) Suffering for Jesus. That's right. (laughs) I'm rising above. Our video director in one man IT department, John Myers, is in the tech bunker. He's too polite to say it, but if if we would just Google our tech questions, John would uh, get back 20 hours a week. And our producer, Jinx, is in his little glass booth. Jinx, now that we're back in the studio, is this the end of what is Jinx having for lunch? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got the goldfish. You got trail me? Okay, goldfish. goldfish. Rain the kids' dad. Pescatarian. It's going to need some, some plastic over the soundboard. <laughs> oh, all, yeah. All beer below gear. We got it. No problem. All right. Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George says that while Catholics will give up meat for Lent, the rest of us are doing it just because we can't afford it. <laughs> and Kathy White is the soft feminist feminine side it's the microphone it always is and i know he called you feminist and (laughs) listen i'm working on it i'm gonna get it straight tell us how you really feel kathy wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program she's still disappointed last weekend super bowl halftime show didn't feature chris tomlin uh well Sad. That's true. That would have been awesome. <laughs> That's true. God. That would have been a great show. Guys, we have one of our favorite guests on uh, this program, Chad Bird. He's a scholar in residence, at, and he's got a mother of a beard. <laughs> and you'll notice that right <laughs> off. But he's a scholar in residence at 1517. He holds master's degrees from Concordia Theological Seminary and Hebrew Union College. He served as a pastor, a professor, a guest lecturer in Old Testament and Hebrew. Chad um, has a new book, and it is... It is really, boy, are you going to be criticized for this? <laughs> it is so good, I can hardly stand it. It's called Limping with God, Jacob and the Old Testament Guide to Messy Discipleship. <laughs> Chad, everybody's thought what you wrote in this book, but we wouldn't dare say it. I mean, we would rather paint paintings of our heroes in the Bible with hell, with, uh, with wings and, uh, 
the what's the thing halos. on halos on top of their heads <laughs> and uh, say nice things about them and talk about the Hebrew uh, the the way they're hero, heroes and how how we must look up to them and emulate their faithfulness and their goodness and their obedience. God must laugh at us because he's gone through a lot of trouble. These are a bunch of ragamuffins. I mean, these people are not the ones I would have chosen if I were God to do anything for me. I would have found somebody who was nicer more pure, more spiritual, more obedient. But maybe do you think that God didn't have a whole lot of choice? (laughs) (laughs) Given that messy is the universal definition of what it means to be human. And Jacob is one of the best illustrations of that that you'll ever find. Uh, Chad, why don't you... Uh, take some time and tell us about your friend Jacob. Uh, there are those who are watching and listening to this program who are who have bought into the lie that Jacob uh, was this pure, wonderful forefather of our faith who uh, set the pattern for the rest of us. And I think before we do anything else, you ought to disabuse that particular view. <laughs> I'd be happy to, Steve. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks thanks for, first of all for the invitation to to join you to talk about Jacob. He is one of my favorite characters, and uh, the reason I think that uh, he is one of my favorite characters is because he resembles me so closely, <laughs> which which is uh, not a compliment uh, to myself. It's it's not like one good mark on my moral resume. It's but it's the truth, you know. Uh, I, I, did you think we love these sanitized Sunday school versions of our of our biblical figures? Because when you take them in their raw reality, actually, when you take them in exactly the way that the Bible describes them, then we don't always know what to do with them. And I think the reason we don't know what to do with them is because we've kind of been deluded into this idea that the biblical figures are these heroes and heroines of the faith that we are supposed to emulate in order that, like them, we can make God happy with our good behavior. So it's a bit, it's a little bit dis, dissettling to a lot of our theological assumptions when we read in the scriptures about, well, Abraham lying about uh, Sarah being his his wife, and then of course Isaac does the exact same thing, and then is it as if. Abraham and Isaac aren't bad enough. You get to Jacob, and the guy's just a, a total jerk. I mean, I don't know how else to describe him. He's a, he is a, he's an ambition junkie. Uh, his his world revolves in a very small circle around himself. He, uh, he uh, as you said in the intro, he fathers kids with four four different women. He's got two wives who are sisters, sister wives, and then two co-wives. He's a busy guy. He really messes up his family by you know, making sure that all the kids know who his favorite is. So he just, uh, he is a mess. Uh, he's a messy disciple. And so I read through the Bible and I was like, you know, who is almost as bad a sinner as I am? And I came upon Jacob and I thought, well, there you go. I'm going to write a book of discipleship about him. <laughs> what, nice. what did you think God 
You know, I sometimes say to God, you know, you could have put in a couple that were a little bit better than the ones you've used. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, we do sometimes need heroes and models, and you keep messing it up. You even take Peter. He's the rock, and he's a hypocrite. What are you doing? <laughs> What do you think God has in mind, uh, Chad? Well, I, I think sometimes God is like a jokester. Uh, he will mm. kind of set us up at times. So he'll introduce us to a character, say Noah, for instance, or Abraham, or David, or even Solomon. So he'll introduce us <laughs> these characters, and right away you're like, oh, wow, now that's an impressive person. You know, righteous, man after God's own heart, super wise. And we'll kind of get to thinking, yeah, this is the guy. I mean, I can if I can be like him, then I too can be righteous and wise and a man after God's own heart and all that kind of stuff. And then right after God sets us up, then he shows us their true colors. And you see Noah drunk and naked inside his tent. <laughs> you see Solomon building these sanctuaries to false gods all over the Mount of Olives. You see David, of course, uh, sleeping with one of his best friend's wives and then making sure that his best friend gets murdered on the battlefield. And Anyway, on and on it goes, <laughs> where the, the message becomes pretty clear that if you put your trust in one of these people, and if you really think they're going to be your model, then, well, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. And of course, this is nothing more than God's way of telling us in ways great and small, obvious and implicit that there's really only one, there's only one man that we can put our trust in, and that is the man Jesus, who actually does live up to all of God's expectations and more. So the Old Testament is full of these examples of who not to trust, who not to put your faith in. And then it ultimately leads to uh, to the good news that, that Matthew is getting introduced to us in, uh, in the one born in Bethlehem. Yeah. And by the way, it's not that much better in the New Testament. I, d I don't no, know. Uh, um, I don't know how people miss this or why. I. It is what you have said should have universally from the Christian church a statement. You go, Chad. <laughs> but of course. And why are you saying something that is so obvious that we all see it, but we don't all see it? Uh, why is that? Well, I think we're what we tend to do uh, from my perspective is we translate our our the way that our daily lives work into the way that God works. And so, you know, most of our daily lives work according to the model of I give something and then I get something right. So I do something and I get something in return. Same way with relationships. So if I want to have a relationship with a friend or with a wife or my wife, well, then I need to love her and then she will love me back. And we think God is like that, too. But he's not. He's the God of the one way love where we don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway. We'll pursue that on the other side of the break. Meanwhile, we're uh, talking to Chad Bird. Uh, his book, Limping with God, the book I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers. Don't go anywhere, because this is going to be so good and so controversial, but so cogent and rational that you won't even write critical letters to us. <laughs> so don't go away. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. 
If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Thanks for joining us. We're uh, talking with author Chad Bird. His uh, latest book is called Limping with God, Jacob and the Old Testament Guide to Messy Discipleship. And it is. I knew Jacob was bad, but you make, you know, you keep bringing up to my memory things that I had conveniently forgotten. I don't believe I would have told, I don't, I don't believe I, if I were God, I would have told all that stuff, frankly. <laughs> you were talking about why God would do that, and you're talking about a one-way God. Say a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I, the incident I think perfectly illustrates this is uh, kind of the beginning of the second stage of Jacob's life. So it, it's right after he's uh, not only just lied to his father, claiming that he is his older brother Esau, but he's even taken the Lord's name in vain when his dad says, "Well, how'd you get the how'd you get the the game so quickly?" <laughs> Jacob says, "Oh, well, the Lord caused it to happen." <laughs> so just like the guy just keeps digging the hole deeper and deeper. So. Like I said earlier, he's an ambition junkie. Everything's about him. He lies. He deceives. He and his mom are in this whole thing together. Well, anyway, all this happens, and he has to run away because his brother wants to kill him, quite understandably. I probably would, too. <laughs> and then he, he gets to the place where he has the dream. So when God shows up to speak to Jacob at the, you know, the angels are going up and down. You got the, the stairway to heaven and all that. Well, the first thing that you would expect God to say to him is... What do you think you're doing? Why deceiving <laughs> and taking my name in vain? But instead, when God shows up, He doesn't utter a single word of rebuke. In fact, it kind of bothers me. I, I'm, I'm waiting for God to say, you know, something that's going to correct <laughs> Jacob, but He doesn't. He just like all love and grace and mercy toward Jacob, and uh, that's that's one way love. This is God showing up to a sinner who's unworthy, who who has obviously deserved rebuke and condemnation, and he doesn't. He simply opens his mouth and says, hey, Jacob, you're my guy. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you back. Not a single word of correction in God's speech. Well, that's one way love. This is an undeserved outpouring of divine grace upon this sinner. And of course, I don't like it when God does that to other people, but I really like it when he does it to me. <laughs> and that's the way it always works. So I love the one way love. And uh, that's really, that's God. He is the one who loves us before he even looks at us. And then when he looks at us and loves us, he turns us into his beloved people. Guys, that's the real God. And if you're watching or listening, that's you. I mean, that's how God is going to react to you 
and it blows you away. I don't understand that. Matthew? No, I don't either. I And it's funny, like we were talking about before the break about how our heroes of the faith, we kind of kind of broad brush out some of the details and and I and I can't throw any rocks because I have my own heroes. I, I don't even read an article about Mr. Rogers because <laughs> I know what I think about him. I adore the man. I know if I read an article they're like, well did you know he actually he actually loved drowning kittens? I'm like, no, 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 no. He's perfect. He's dead. I'm done with this conversation. But it it does us well to look past the cause because, I mean, we turn people into idols, which is not a good idea. Um, but when we look at Jacob, you mentioned his ambition. And in the modern ears, you're like, great, good for him. I mean, he's on LinkedIn. He's got he's, – he's working it. But the, the word, ambition has not always been viewed as a virtue. So tell us a little bit about that because that was in your book, and that hit me kind of like, oh, really? All right. Tell me more. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 undergone a transformation, you know, not from rags to riches, but from vice to virtue. We tend to think of ambition today as virtuous. Somebody, some young man or some young woman that has ambition, we're like, yeah, you go get them. Uh, but historically, anyway, ambition was understood to be not not the desire to work hard to attain something, but rather the desire to work to attain something for me. It's all it's all it's the ego drama, not the theo drama. It's all about it's all about me ambition is so jacob as as the 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 icon of ambition demonstrates this even in his nativity right he's grabbing his brother's heel trying to pull him back so he can get ahead and then his life ambition at least for the first 70 or so years was to make sure that he got he got ahead of his brother that he got by whatever means necessary what he thought that an accident of birth had deprived him of uh and i mean in my in my first 35 years of life, I was hooked on the drug of ambition. I mean, that was everything, everything for me. And uh, as I rightly deserved, once I got everything that I had acquired by ambition, God took it all away. <laughs> I <fell laughs> flat on my face. So uh, like most things in life, I learned the hard way, uh, but I learned in a very memorable way where ambition can, uh, can take you. And I think Jacob did too, because, you know, he gets that blessing of the, of the firstborn. He gets all this stuff. And in reality, it doesn't do him any good. In fact, when he's reunited with his older brother, he keeps calling him Lord Esau, Lord this, <laughs> Lord that. He won't even call him his brother because he understands that in the big scheme of things, he's still subservient. Uh, so he got what he wanted, but it really wasn't what he wanted. It didn't do him any good in the long run. We often think, don't we, that when God takes it away, uh, that is just and right and proper, and he should have because we deserved it. But that's not even the issue, is it? No, no, that's that's not even the issue. I mean, <laughs> the issue is what, what God is doing, if he does take something away from us, is he's saying, hey, I, what you really want is me. I mean, what we're really striving for, whether it's ambition or whatever it is we tend to make an idol out of, we're, we're searching to something to fill, to fill the, the hole within us, right? And the only thing that's going to fill that, of course, is God. But Jacob was was seeking to get it through the blessing of the of the, of the firstborn. I sought to get it through a career. Uh, you can seek to get it through whatever means, but the only thing that's going to actually fill that hole is is God Himself. And so God is standing there saying, "Hey, I'm what you need. I'm what's going to bring you fulfillment. I'm what's going to bring you hope and peace and everything that you actually need 
So look at me, look at Christ and forget about all that other junk because it's not going to satisfy you in the long run. So true. You know, a lot of my time and sometimes it still is, is trying to be accepted in the inner ring and God keeps marginalizing me. (laughs) And I think, uh, what have I done to you? I've been faithful. I haven't left. I mean, I, they call me reverend. What have, what have I done to you? And then I realize he's my only place and the only place that matters. And boy, is that a hard lesson to learn, especially if you're on the outside showing, throwing rocks at the house because nobody will let you in. Mm. Uh, you find out later, as Lewis said in that essay, uh, The Inner Ring, you know, it's not what you think it is. And Jacob learned that, too. Oh, man, this is a great book. It is so honest. It's going to blow away everything you ever thought about the Bible and our heroes. Incidentally, if you have in your library books titled Famous Christians, and they don't tell you uh, what... Uh, what we're finding out about Jacob, I have a suggestion for you. The next time you have a barbecue, put those books in the fire and burn them because they won't encourage you. They will discourage you. More encouragement on the other side of the break. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know. A gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. you're here. We're hanging out with Chad Bird. I should say Dr. Chad Bird. You can keep up with his work at chadbird.com and on Twitter at birdchadlewis. <laughs> Chad, uh, Limping with God. We're supposed to repeat the title so people will remember it. So Limping with God. Uh, talk about um, when... Uh, Jacob uh, not only got his new name that he contended with God, but he also got his limp. Um, Talk about that story. Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories about Jacob and probably the most well-known about him. That's where I got the the book title, Limping with God, because after that uh, wrestling match, he limped away from, from that encounter. 
And the reason, one of the reasons I like that so much is because, well, I'll, I'll be as brief as possible. So I believe that the, the quote, man, messenger with whom he wrestled was none other than the son of God, uh, that he was uh, the messenger of the Lord that often appears in, in the Old Testament. So this is <laughs> Jacob wrestling with Jesus, which is just a fantastic image. They're not even in and, the same uh, weight class. <laughs> yeah, Outrageous. They're down there in the mud, rolling around, fighting each other, uh, tooth and nail. And neither's really getting the upper hand. You get toward the end of the night, it's dawn, and Jesus says, let me go. Jacob says, uh, I'm not going to. He's still ambitious. I, I need to, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. But does Jesus the, the, the fight dirty? That, That's a... <laughs> yeah, the real beauty of that entire encounter is, I think what's happening there is in that one scene where you have the wrestling match between man and God that ends with God purposely losing in order that he might give a blessing and a name to Jacob. I think what's happening in that entire scenario is it's a, it's, it's a mini portrait of what's going to happen on the day of crucifixion, where once more you have humanity fighting with God, mm. and they get their hands on him in this wrestling match of the crucifixion. And what ends up happening? Well, the Son of God ends up losing. Mm. He dies purposely in order that, as a result of his death, he might give blessing and the name Christian to all of us Jacobs. So that, that dust up between Jacob and Jesus, the results in this new name and this blessing, it's just, it's a beautiful portrait beforehand of what we're going to see happening in, in the ministry, in the ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that, you know, Jacob doesn't run away from this fight. He doesn't, you know, march boldly away from it as the victor. He limps away. He's got a wound. And isn't that the typical way that, uh, that, that we conduct our lives? We're, you know, we think we're not marching victoriously through the Christian life. We're not running in the path of righteousness. We're just kind of limping along. We got a gimp. Half the time we're on our face. We're crawling. Uh, but that's, that's all right, because it's not up to us. It's not up to us to run the way of righteousness and make God happy when we cross the finish line. It's not up to us to march boldly in holiness and righteousness and make God happy with us. We just kind of limp along as weak and broken vessels. And yet we're carried, we're borne along by the the good and gracious hand of of God, who, if he was willing to give his life for us, certainly he's going to be ready and willing to carry us from the place we are now to to the heavenly goal. That is so good. And it's so true. And it's so encouraging. You know, religion will kill you. It really will. And there's something in us that causes us to reject what you just said. I mean, it, I don't know if it's self-righteousness. I don't know if it's supernatural. I don't know if it's in our genes, the result of the fall. But we, we're we like the preacher who went out and hit the golf ball and it... Uh, a bird, and he duffed it, and a bird picked it up and dropped it halfway down the the fairway, and then a squirrel came and got it and took it to the green, and a rabbit kicked it into the hole, and the preacher said, I'd rather do it myself. <laughs> I, guess, I guess maybe um, we really would rather do it, because if God does all this stuff and we do nothing, then we owe him, don't we? Yeah, we're, we're outraged at grace. Uh, I think Capon said that, you know, uh, don't, don't, 
don't do me the injustice of doing everything for me. Let me at least contribute a little bit. I mean, mm -hmm. we want to have some skin in the game, and maybe it's because we're control freaks by nature. Mm. You know, we, we hate not having control of whatever the situation is. And God comes along and he says, forget your control. You don't have any control. I'm the one doing all the doing here. I'm the one who is saving you, redeeming you, sanctifying you, justifying you. It's all me. And all that you, you it's just a gift to you. So God gives and we receive. And that kind of sums up the, the entire Christian, Christian life. But because, you know, we like to have a little skin in the game, it, it bothers us. We want to have at least little, a, even a 1% that we can rely on, that we've contributed. <laughs> and God says, no, sorry, it's 100%. I'm doing it all for you. Yes. And and if you don't get it, I'm going to show you. <laughs> yes. You know, that's the irritating part. You don't, you, not only do you not get a vote, he rubs it in your face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, if, if Jesus really loved me, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, how is that a good way to treat your kids? It's a wonderful way, guys. You got to get this book. It's going to blow you away and it's going to haunt you with the outrageous grace of the God we worship. Limping with God, Jacob and the Old Testament Guide to Messy Discipleship. Chad Bird wrote it. Chad Bird is our guest. And if you miss any of this, you're going to wish that you had kept the camera on or the dial where it was. So don't touch it. You'll get the hives or the fever and die. I grew up in the mountains where there were lots of fireflies. I'd catch them and put them in a jar. The <laughs> problem was the next morning they'd be dead. Jesus said to the religious people of his day, that they would travel land and sea to get one convert, then make him worse than he was before. We do that sometimes. We, we put new Christians in a jar of rules and regulations, and their light grows dimmer and dimmer, and then they die. Christians, like fireflies, need to be free. Don't forget about God's unconditional love and forgiveness and and your light will shine. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Hey, share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Hey, thanks for spending this time with us. By the way, do you get our weekly email? It's a small thing we do just to remind you that God's not mad at his children. Uh, while you're thinking about it, well, wait till the program's over. You'll miss something now. important. <laughs> not right now, but as soon as the program is over, uh, go to keylife.org slash subscribe. Subscribe. That's it. Chad, um, a few years ago, Steve um, went out to California to speak for uh, an annual conference for a group called 1517. And I had no earthly idea who 1517 was at the time. And he 
had a great time. And since then, I have become a lot you more. You went f- with me, George, during mm-hmm. that time. That was a fun time. Yeah. yeah. Lutherans I, have open bars. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, if, you get a, if you have an open bar, and, and I don't drink, uh, so I drink Coke. Are you done? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. I'm, I want to explain something. Okay. <laughs> I want people to know that I'm spiritual. Yes. Okay. Yes. But it was a great time. If you can have it, that's the secret of Lutheranism. They have an open bar. Oh, and they always <laughs> attract a crowd. Now I'm finished. Okay. <laughs> As I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. Um, I became familiar with 1517 and um, so much so that um, as uh, I have now become a Lutheran. And uh, no, that's not the reason. But uh, uh, but I am just... The open bar. No. Yeah, no, not the open bar either. But I'm loving what I'm learning and I'm loving the, the faithfulness to the word. I mean, I'm just... it's It's been great. But I think it's... Unless you broaden your horizon sometimes and get out of your little comfort area where you live and breathe, you know, we as Christians, we're not necessarily familiar with, uh, you know, others out there that are that are... You know, Steve always says everybody who belongs to Jesus belongs to everybody who belongs to Jesus. And so you're not necessarily familiar. So would you tell us a little bit about 1517? Yeah, I'd be I'd be happy to. I've been working with them, first of all, in a part time sort of way uh, since well around the time that you went to that conference. I was at that conference back in 2017. Uh, and now I work for him full time ever since the beginning of, of 2020. So 1517 is named after People always ask, what's up with the 1517? numerology. Yeah, it's named after the year the, the Protestant Reformation began. So back in 1517, the whole nailing of the 95 Theses on the, the church door in Wittenberg. And what we do basically is we're just getting the gospel out there in as many ways as we can. So we declare and defend the good news that we're free and forgiven for the sake of Christ alone. And we have, we do this in conferences like the one you mentioned. We have a regional conference in Bentonville, Arkansas every year. We have a publishing house that puts out books like the one that we're talking about here. We have daily articles, about 20 different podcasts. We have free academy courses, just a wealth of different ways in which we get the good news out there to, to people. It's all at 1517.org if uh, you're interested in, in checking that out. But I work for them. And as I tell everybody, I, I get to preach the gospel with an Old Testament accent. That's basically, <laughs> basically my, my job. And I love doing it. I mean, it's just a, it's a godsend to me to be able to uh, to to take my education and then to, to use that, not just kind of for, you know, bookish sorts of things, but to actually get the good news out there and let people know that God loves them in Jesus Christ uh, beyond their, their wildest imagination. So it's a great, great opportunity for me. And I'm very, very thankful for the job that I have with 1517. It can do that. There's a wealth of great, um, really you know, is. information yeah. and help yeah. there for sure. Thanks. Uh, Love, love the message of, of the book, uh, Chad. What's the what's the takeaway as far as like the application? Like what are folks will read it and then like, OK, great. The the all the heroes of the faith, but in particular, Jacob, a lot more screwed up and relatable than I remembered or, or realized. Therefore, fill in the blank. How am I going to take this and start putting it into action in, in my life? What am I doing from here forward after reading the book? Yeah, well, you're, the primary message, the primary thing you're going to be doing after you read the book is resting mm. in the love of God and Jesus Christ. Sounds groovy, man. <laughs> so, uh, and that way, it's it's a different kind of discipleship book. So most discipleship books, you know, you're going to have a kind of a, 
an explicit or maybe even an explicit list of things you can take away from that. Oh, I need to start doing this, yeah. and then I need to do that, I need to do this. And you'll find no such list in this book. Uh, if there's any list, there's just one thing on it, and that is to to rest in the fact that you are loved and forgiven in Jesus Christ. And as one who is loved and forgiven in Jesus Christ, you are his disciple. And what being a disciple means is you follow Jesus. And most of the time that means falling flat in your face on a daily, if not an hourly basis. <laughs> and then Jesus comes along and he picks you up and he dusts you off and says, I love you. Let's let's get going again. Uh, so not a list of principles to follow, not a list of spiritual rules to keep, but instead just rest in the fact that where you are, God will come to you in Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. He will He will wash you clean. And he will embrace you and say, I love you and I defy the world to say otherwise. Oh, man. Mm. So you're not saying uh, Martin Luther was purported to say to Melanchthon, who was rather uptight and a perfectionist, why don't you go out and sin so you have (laughs) something to rip in of? You're not saying something like that, are you? Yeah, something sin boldly. (laughs) And hang on to him boldly, too. Are you working on something now? I am. I just finished finished a book called Hitchhiking with Prophets. It's a a ride through the salvation story of the Old Testament, especially for people who may not really know much about the Old Testament. It's kind of a a lighthearted, creative uh, summary of the entire Old Testament story. That'll be out with 1517 later this year. And I'm, I'm working now on a, a, daily, a daily devotional that's based on the Psalms, which will probably be out uh, in 2024 sometime. So that means we get I finish a, a book, I take a break, and then I start another one. It's just kind of the way I roll. That means that we get to be with you at least two times. You know, we've had people on this program refuse to come back. but since you have proclaimed your sinfulness and equated yourself with jacob and we know that dirt on you we expect that when we issue an invitation that you will give us a positive response and always uh, always (laughs) and show up when we ask you to we've got 30 seconds uh Say what you'd like to say, but say it within 25 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I can do that. Uh, Read the life of Jacob, and when you read about him, realize that he is a mirror image of who we are, and just as God loves him and called him and shows him, so he loves and calls and chooses each of us so that we can limp along being carried by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gosh. You did it. Wow. Listen, we're going to have so you cool. back. You should do commercials. <laughs> Listen, you got it. Thanks for taking an hour from a very busy schedule and being with you, all, with us. All kidding aside, you are a delight, and we rise up and call you blessed. Bless your brother. The book, Limping with God. Get it and read it. It'll, as we say in the, in the South, it'll... Bless your heart. (laughs) Guys, we're almost finished, so hold your breath. We're coming back, and we're going to tell you when we come back who's going to get it next week. (laughs) And it's going to be an amazing revelation, so don't go anywhere.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Thanks for spending an hour with us, you hear? Since this whole smartphone thing seems to be here to stay, I didn't think it was going to make it, but it's not going away. (laughs) We went ahead and created a Key Life app, and it is so cool, it'll blow your socks off. Puts the best of Key Life right on your telephone. Uh, Give it a try. You can check it out by going to keylife.org slash app. And uh, you'll be amazed at uh, that app. It really is a great app. What a good guest. We were just sitting here talking about uh, maybe getting some of Chad's material and posting it on our website because he's such such a great spokesman for the message that we believe with all of our hearts. I have a pastor friend in Virginia who invited me to come to his church to speak. It was a large church. And he said, Steve, I'm not having you here because you're so smart or so good looking or because your sermons are that great. I'm having you here because you ride one horse, but you ride it well. (laughs) Well, that's what Key Life does. I mean, we're not about politics, although mine are better than yours. And we're not about sociology or theories or biblical exegesis. We're about grace and in all of its manifestations. And the thing that is so good about being about grace is that we're on God's side. God's about grace too. And Jesus is about grace too. And the Holy Spirit reminds us about grace all the time. And uh, the reason I do it is because I need it so much. I mean, guilt is the is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and I know how that is. And that's true with you, too. So check out our material at keylife.org. Listen to our guest on this talk show. Uh, read their books. Because as Luther said, speaking of Luther... We got to preach to each other lest we become discouraged. And that's what we do at Key Life. And then we have neat guests, too. Uh, who's going to be on next week? Well, good you segue. Know, it's, yeah, isn't that a great segue? <laughs> Put that in the segue hall of fame. You know, it was really hard to top today, but I'm really looking forward to next week. 
Uh, Larry Loftus is our guest. He's written a book titled The Watchmaker's Daughter, and it's the story of Corey Ten Boom and her family, and it coincides with the anniversary of when the Ten Boom family was arrested uh, in Nazi Germany for housing Jews during the Holocaust. Great program. Guys, you join us. Same time, same place. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth. You know, since you need the uh, emblem thing, it doesn't have the halo over Steve's head anymore. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's better that way.